0: Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hugen, the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'm also the executive director of the International Outreach and Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. And these two ministries are the sponsors of this program. To learn more about either, go to breadoflifeboise.org or traincpe.org. It's the Christmas season, and sometime during the season you should let your minds go to the images of the stable or the shepherds out in their fields keeping watch over their flocks, I suspect those images will somehow comfort you. But before you truly understand their significance in the Christmas story, you'll need to go to another scene, a much more impossible place to picture. We must let ourselves go before the throne of God. It is there that Christmas's true meaning and comfort must take shape For most of us these pictorial images of Christmas, the manger scene, the Judean hillside they place in our minds and our imaginations images that can easily be painted or we would like to see painted to see how they would look and approximate they fill us wonderfully a sense of hope and a sense of awe they quiet our hearts and our spirits in the middle of the rush and the discouragement of my face in any day. It's not the scene of the angels appearing. It's the scene just before that that quiets us for a moment. But for us to truly understand those scenes and appreciate them and even appreciate how they impact us as we consider them and contemplate them, we have to go to a different scene. We have to go to a different place and we have to consider that place. And yet it's a place that's difficult to get to. It's not a place that our imaginations can easily take unto ourselves and understand. It's too glorious. It's too wonderful. It's too awesome. Before we can go and really appreciate why it is that we are filled with a sense of wonder and awe and even comfort and hope at the scene of the angels or the shepherds at the end of the day in their fields or or Mary and Joseph in that manger scene in Bethlehem, we have to allow ourselves to go to the throne of God. And there in the throne of God, first consider his presence and his awesome presence. Before we can appreciate the humble setting, we have to first consider that transcendent place where God abides and God exists. As we do, we have to keep in mind that the thought of God's transcendence is a push far beyond our comprehension. When we say that God is transcendent, we're saying that He in His being is something that is above and beyond anything that we could know or understand or grasp. It's above everything that we know in every way it's above it. But first, and this is the first point, very simply, Before considering the humble Christmas scene, we should consider the transcendent God. Before considering the humble Christmas scene and appreciate it, we must consider the transcendent God. Psalm 113, 4 and 6, we read it, says this, The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things of heaven and in earth. And when the Bible says that God dwells on high or that God dwells above us, it is not speaking of God geographically. It's not trying to locate God astronomically. It is using our limited pathetic language and our limited way of comprehending things to say that God is completely other than ourselves and completely removed from our experiences in his majesty and in his greatness. Our imaginations can hardly even grasp the notion of the universe. We stretch our intellects to attempt to fathom this single galaxy that we call the Milky Way, floating in the midst of an o- ocean of progressively expanding galaxies. The modern scientist tells us that there are two trillion galaxies in the universe. A short while ago, they said it was 2 billion galaxies. The further they were able to peer into the universe, they bumped that number up significantly. The further they peer into that universe, I suspect the number will get greater and greater and greater. And yet, if our imaginations could take us to the farthest star in the farthest point of the universe, what we would discover is that the universe can be measured. That it has a limit, and it has an end, and it has an edge. That universe itself is, in all of its seemingly incomprehensible greatness, is finite, it's measurable, it's limited. And at that point, and in that moment, we would begin to meet and explore, and what would reside before us is nothing but the unlimited, infinite, unending, immeasurable, transcendent God, and the universe is but its foot, his footstool. One of the hymnists wrote, "Shoreless ocean, who can sound thee? Thine own eternity is round thee, majesty divine." The psalmist just says he's above all, and so great that he has to stoop down to condescend to merely look upon the heavens and upon the earth. He must condescend to gaze at the universe, and my. Friend, I tell you that God does not bend any further to view the outer rim of the universe than he does to view you. He is transcendent beyond our imaginations. When we speak of the holiness of God, we think of his absolute and moral purity. But more than this, we understand that it is a reference. The holiness of God is a reference to God's complete and utter otherness. The Bible depicts this holiness of God is a fire that is unapproachable. It's a holiness that blazes greater and more profound than the gathering, the accumulating of all the suns and all of the universe. Job 15:15 15, 15 does speak, does speak of the holiness of God as something that is expressive of his otherness and complete and moral purity. It says there that even the heavens, the universe is not pure in his sight. Job 15:15 15, 15 tells us this. But even more than his moral purity, ultimately this word is an expression of his complete and utter transcendence. When The angels gathered around the throne of God in Isaiah 6 and cried out, holy, 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 what they were saying was other, other, other or apart, apart, apart. He's transcendent above us all. And this reality is a mystery that we cannot grasp. It resides in a in a manner of speaking in words and language that are beyond the tongue and beyond what is uttered and what has been spoken in all of this world and all the universe. And before this infinite transcendent God, the universe is but a speck not to be compared with God. Before this transcendent God, the universe is a speck to be compared with the speck that is you. There's where the comparison is. There's the only safe and sound comparison is is the speck that is you and the speck of the universe when you consider either one in light of the transcendence of God. So no person, no human being is really qualified to speak of this God in anything but a completely limited understanding. God has revealed himself, but only within a scope that somehow can be unfolded into our minds and our imaginations. And it would make more sense to have some kid who flips hamburgers at McDonald's, go to the local hospital, perform a open heart surgery, than it would be for us to find the most intelligent individual in the United States or in the world today and have him offer up a satisfying treatise on the majesty and glorious mystery of who God is and what God is. The psalmist says God condescends to us. That's the next point. Here it is. Before considering the humble Christmas scene, consider that this transcendent God who is over all and beyond all condescends to see us. This transcendent God who is over all and beyond all condescends to see us or view us. This is what the psalmist says. By the way, he he doesn't speak in suppositions here. He does not say, now supposing that God wanted to see us. Uh, Well, if God wanted to see us, he would have to bend down to do it. That's not what he says. He offers not a supposition here, but a proposition. He says God bends down to view heaven and earth. God is condescending towards us every single day to view his creation and to view us. He's stooping low to hold his creation and view. And at this point in the psalm, this notion is only meant to stun us it's only meant as we hear it to stun us and awaken us to a sense of his profound awesomeness and greatness he cannot gaze at the galaxies above our head without stooping down and bending down to hold them in his view and in the same way he bends to hold us in his view now this is not an idea that is expressed in order to bring us comfort We're not to read this and say, oh, well, this is such a comforting thought that this transcendent God that is beyond all things stoops to put his eye upon us. You put together the notion of God's transcendence and then this notion of God stooping to see you, and you may be tempted to say how comforting, but I think the proper idea would be instead to say how horrifying, how terrifying, how awful and awesome that something so great and transcendent puts his infinite gaze upon the finite. A holy God is watching sinful people. A holy God is watching you. The New Testament tells us the story of the Lord Jesus when he was arrested and the first place they took him was to go before the high priest. In the house of the high priest, Peter had gathered outside the house and he was in the courtyard. You remember the story because different individuals suggested that they recognized Peter or that Peter must be one of the Lord Jesus disciples and Peter begins to deny it. Some say three times, but if you read the story and you read the putting together of all the stories, it seems that it was even more than three times. It seems that there was a session of three denials and then a crowing and then another three denials and a crowing of a rooster. Finally, in all those denials, one man says to him something like this, you're a Galilean because I can recognize it in your accent, and, and I, think, I think I saw you in the garden when we were there arresting Jesus. Peter begins to swear and curse and says, I don't know this man whom you speak of. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Luke chapter 22, verse 61 tells us at that, that very moment, the Lord Jesus was led outside the home of the high priest in order to be taken before the Sanhedrin, and as Peter's cursing lips are just dying out, we're told that the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. and Peter sees Jesus seeing him. And it melts him. It destroys him. And he goes out from that place, it says, and he wept bitterly. God sees. God knows. God is watching. God has accumulated and gathered himself, every one of your thoughts, every one of your ideas... All of your actions, there's nothing that is lost from his sight. And he has stooped down, this transcendent God, to see all these things. And if you only consider it that far, it ought to be a rather frightening concept. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, that the soul that sins shall surely die. And we have to ask ourselves, what has God seen in me when he has stooped down to view the heavens and the earth? What the Bible tells us he has seen is he has seen this reality, that all have sinned and fallen fallen short of the glory of God now if you understand that and you feel the impress of that reality which men do by the way the Holy Spirit doesn't allow men to forget this notion the Bible tells us that men suppress the knowledge of God and unrighteousness and the reason they suppress it is they cannot exist in any level of comfort knowing what God sees and what God knows of them and so they have to push God's existence from their life I oftentimes say, and I didn't, it's not original with me, I remember receiving it, hearing it from my father, that no individual can sin looking God in the face. You see a little child who's doing something naughty. We've had our children do this before. They've been doing something naughty, and they don't think to remove themselves from our presence, but they remove us from their minds. They'll take their little cubby arms, and they'll throw it across their eyes, and they'll continue to do the naughty thing. I think somehow, as long as our hand is here and they can't see us, that we can't see them, and very infantile, and it's just the way infantile man is before the transcendent God who sees everything. God sees it all, and God knows it all, and He weighs it all, and He sees our sins. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.